Welcome back to the Swirl Speed, everybody. Happy Black History Month. So I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. I've been wanting to do a black food series and um, it's really hard to track down chefs. They're so busy. They work in restaurants. Their hours are nothing like ours. But guess what? I got it together. So this month we are interviewing black women chefs all month long. And, you know, my inspiration for this was food. Of course, everybody who knows me knows I love food, but I found this new podcast. It's the Smithsonian Side Door Podcast. Now, I I was simply searching for, I don't know, some black history facts or some inspiration for new recipes. But I came across an episode of this podcast that was all about this lady named Lena Richard. So this lady was born in 1892 in New Orleans. Her first job was working in a kitchen for a white family at 14 years old. So the head chef in this house um, leaves and Lena is promoted. So 14 years old, she was making $10 a month, but she was promoted and now it's $15 a month. She has an incredible story. She was Julia Child before Julia Child was even a thing. Okay, so the wife of this house takes a liking to Lena and sends her to an all-women cooking school in Boston. Now, again, this is 1918, all right? So it's still segregation. It's still Jim Crow era. So she has to get written consent from every white woman in the class in order to stay. All right, so they accepted her in the class. She could take the courses with them, but she couldn't eat with them. Insane. But... You know, during this eight weeks, she realized that she was a phenomenal chef. She was better than anybody in the class, and they were trying to replicate some of the things that she was doing. Anyway, she left a confident chef, and now she had a lot of credibility. So she moves back to New Orleans, and she starts a catering business. People just love her. They love everything about her and want to learn from her. She had crazy range. She can make high-end, beautiful dishes. But then, I mean, gumbo, jambalaya, she can make everything. So she eventually opened a cooking school for blacks. She was known as a race woman. Pretty much somebody who roots for everybody black. So meanwhile, she's teaching herself how to break down recipes for her own cookbook. Um... Her cookbook, uh, the word is spread. Everybody's clamoring for this cookbook. And she decides to do a book tour. So again, this is the Jim Crow era. This is a time where black people are getting lynching postcards in the mail. So her driving to New Orleans, to the East Coast of New York is really dangerous. Anyway, she made it. She gets to New York and she brings her own ingredients because she's so serious about her cooking demonstrations. So she gets to New York and blows up. Everybody loves her. There's a publisher that um, wanted to uh, publish her book nationally. They did that. She has just, she's cooking for everybody, meeting all these celebrities. She is now a celebrity chef. So in 1949, At a local New New Orleans station, she starts her own cooking show. This was 15 years before Julia Childs even hit the screen. And guess what? There is no record, no audio, no script of this cooking show. Nothing was saved. But the people during that time took copious notes while watching her show. 
we only have the witnesses, the stories behind this woman, Lena Richard. So anyway, she starts her cooking show, 1949. 1950, she passes away of a heart attack. Lena Richards sounds like a wonderful woman, and I'm so upset that I'm just finding out about her. Um, I posted this story on my Instagram, and nobody knows who this woman is, but they're, they're just amazed at this story, and so am I. So I want to highlight Black women in food, in wine, who are doing great things. Episode one of our Black Women, Black Food series is Chef Mimi Robinson Briscoe, the founder of the Black Food and Wine Experience. I'm sitting back in my chair with a glass of wine. I love it. And so what are you drinking tonight? I was getting ready to ask the same question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tonight, I mean, today, um, because it's only 2.30 in California. that's right. um, I have a glass of of um it's a prosecco and it's made by e40 oh i've had it yeah i you know what so a girlfriend of mine opened up a wine shop it's the first black owned um wine and tasting room shop in oakland and um she carries the brand and i you know i tried it there and i was like oh this is pretty good you know because it was different from the other stuff that he had made i was just like i'm not interested in that but this was actually cool and so it's been it's been one of my favorites so it's it's reasonably priced i think it retails for like 18 dollars um it has you know good body to it it's, it's pretty good excellent serena where did you find that at i need to you know search and give oh i it. had it i had it when i went to la i went to the black on wine bar 1010 and that's where i had it oh okay yeah. i'm jealous okay you like it <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I had a lot of wines. I drove them crazy. Like, <laughs> can you bring me one of everything? Because we cannot find a lot of these black winemakers or BIPOC uh, winemakers on the East Coast. So, I, yeah, I, I drank a lot that day. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. So where are you located? I know you're on the East Coast. I'm in D.C. Glennis is in Maryland. I'm in Maryland. Okay. Yeah. A little bit like what I've been trying to do is um elevate you know black owned brands here we have a lot here you know all the way from like the bigger brands like the McBride sisters down to like Paula Harrell which is a more of a local brand um in Oakland and uh what's interesting is that the Bay Area you know we have we have Napa we have Sonoma we have the wine country here and then you know we're smack dab in between the wine country and Silicon Valley However, when it comes to like BIPOC community, we we don't have a presence as loud as it should be. Um, and so it's a it's a group of us, you know, that are really trying to create opportunity, like um Fern Strauss, she's she does the wine events and then I do the black food and wine experience. And we have um spirits and wine and food at at the one that I do. But we're trying to create an opportunity. And it's interesting, too, because a lot of the people on the East Coast, they get because food is bigger, I believe, in the East and the South for black people, um, because in California, we're we're not the majority here. So it's very, very small community here. But um, but we have more more um, winemakers here. 
So we're trying to figure out like, what does that look like? Like the East Coast is supporting what we're doing here. We got to figure out how do we, how do we partner on both ends? Because you got media and you got wine, but you don't, but the black people here are not getting the same opportunities. So that's what well, the look- wine experience is really about. It's about bridging the gap and creating opportunities for the black entrepreneurs within this space so that they're able to have a space to talk about, to share, to celebrate, to love on the brands that are that are supporting, you know, that we have. Outstanding. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So what does the Black food and wine experience look like? Can you tell our listeners that? And yeah. if it's a festival of, I'm doing air quotes festival, um, what date will that be? Okay, so... Um, well, welcome everybody. I'm Chef Mimi and <laughs> um, I'm the creator of the Black Food and Wine Experience. And uh, what you can expect, first of all, is a lot of love. When you come into the building, what we do is we try to create a space where it's it's for us, by us, but it's it's a lot of love. And and you can't get you can't get a better celebration without food and wine. Because you gotta have love, but you gotta have drinks and, and you gotta have people and you gotta have culture. So it's a it's a time where you get dressed up. Most of the people are thirty plus. You get dressed up. You're not in your flip. It's not the flip flop and sundress and bring your kids out type of turn up. It's really a grown folks, grown sexy type of turn up where you you get dressed up. This year we our theme is suits dress suits um dresses and sneakers. So you can dress from head to toe in your finery and then wear your sneakers at the bottom so you can walk and have all the wine and drinks. You know, we getting a little older now. So people appreciate not having to walk in their heels and all that and still be cute and dress up and have a good time and wear your, your, your comfortable shoes and be able to taste all the wines. Cause you know, after you have two or three, you kind of like, okay, I don't want to wear these heels. We don't want you to leave. We want you to enjoy yourself. So most people, when you know how you, you wear something on your feet and your feet is hurt, you're like, okay, I got to go home. You won't be able to, you won't have to do that because you're going to be comfortable. You're going to be cute. And you're going to be able to try all the different um, brands that are there. You get to meet and greet with the winemakers. You get to meet and greet with the cocktail makers. We also have brands that are non-Black brands because we know that, you know, the Patrons and Hennessy's, things like that, people that uh, are brands that we have grown up with, we want them to invest in our community and show solidarity with what we're doing as well. So we have brands like that, um, a part of our event, as well as um, you get to taste, you get to taste food from all the way from soul food to vegan dishes to, you know, African to Jamaican. We got all different types of foods that represent the full diaspora, as well as health, healthy options. Um, if you don't want to drink, we have non-alcoholic wines, non-alcoholic cocktails, um, water, all different types of you know beverages that don't have alcohol. But if you want to get turned up and you want to have a good time, <laughs> you have a good time regardless. But if you want to taste different type of craft cocktails, those are all there. And it's all of this that I'm speaking of is included in your ticket. So you don't have to pay once you get inside. There's DJs. There's music, special lighting, um, and this is a week-long event. So what I'm speaking about is the grand tasting. 
what you'll also um, get to enjoy if you're in the industry or you're an influencer is our Black Food and Beverage Summit, which is a space for us to gather. Um, whether you're a seasoned person within the industry or you're just interested in the hospitality industry, you get to hear from professionals, from people who have, um, like we last year we had Julia Collins. She sold her company for $2.2 billion. Um, wow. She, She's a, you know, she hit the glass ceiling in the, in the food industry, um, all the way to, you know, um, to, you know, Paula Harrell, Wachera, um, we had, um, Ingrid Bess who worked with Diddy and also has her own wine brand coming out called I Best Wines, um, different chefs that have, you know, tons of experience, whether they were in catering or they started at restaurants, successful restaurateurs. So it's just what what I'm trying to do is create an ecosystem that lives past you know Juneteenth and uh, <laughs> and Black History Month, um, where we can you know share in experiences, um, whether it's just hey you know I know Sarita you know I I know Glennis I'm you know we're working together we're creating blah 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 and and this is what we're doing, um, as well as consumers being able to see people to look like themselves as well as non-black people to get to see black consumers that are at their top doing what they're doing because there's a lot of energy around supporting black businesses but this is a space where you can see 75 plus black businesses in this food and beverage space that you may not have known about um and you get to try and you get to actually meet and talk with the the curator and the wine, the wine. And I'm gonna let you guys jump in because I know I said a lot at one time. Sorry. No, that's perfect. That is that's perfect. perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, do we have the date and the price point? So the date is going to be. It's gonna start on the fifth of June. It'll end on June eleventh. So when I say that, what I'm looking at is curated events. So whether there's a wine dinner by one of our wine sponsors, whether there's a restaurant that's hosting an event, whether it's a wine and comedy event or brunch, these this happens throughout the week. So if you get to come to California, come for the full week so you can enjoy everything about the event. And then we end, I mean, we, um, the bigger event where everybody kind of gathers, we're going to have a, over 3,000 people is the grand tasting. And then we end on June 11th with the brunch. The price point is going to be about $150 and up. Oh, okay. So you can't go to a grand tasting for $150, people, just so you know. You absolutely cannot. Right. <laughs> so we're really trying to create opportunities where there's a there's a there's not as many issues with access to entry because of the price. Um and so you know, we were we we are we are understanding that um, people may not understand what a grand tasting is and what the value is because some right. people don't know what the value of a grand tasting is. We've actually had people buy tickets and then try to pay for the drinks as they got in. So it's like because we're we're teaching people like you you're coming in. This is a tasting. You get to try everything. They're just they're blown away. Like what? We get to try everything. We get to try everything. <laughs> so well thank you yeah that Absolutely. was perfect i hope uh, you guys get a chance to come out man we'd love to 
yes. We would have a ball. Yeah, we really would. And we, uh, I know I'm probably overstepping my um, duty here on the um, podcast, but it would be great for us to come out and record mm-hmm. while we're there. Yeah, uh, you know some some of your some of the wine makers. Yeah. Um, like I actually think the- that that would be great for you guys to do that. I mean, we are always looking to partner and support, you know, other yeah. brands and, um, you know, for me, it's, it's all about, uh, debunking the part of us. We're not in competitive, we're not competitive, competing against each other. So as mm-hmm. much as we can support each other in the space, I'm all for it. So if you guys, you know, want to come and, you know, interview people and just kind of, build out your platform, you know, you're definitely welcome. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be in touch about that. How long have you been doing this? So 2016, we did a proof of concept for two years. Um, and one day I'll tell my full story about, you know, when you do an event and you're thinking about a grand tasting with our community, which normally have not been introduced to what a grand tasting is, um, we sold our tickets for $35 just so people could come to the event and see what the value of the event is. And that was like our proof of concept. So we we started off with 100 people in an industrial kitchen. We had a couple of wine brands. We had a couple of chefs. And, you know, we sold out that event with 100 people. And people were just really excited about, oh, wow, you know, they got, I mean, we had two of the top restaurants. They, had, they provided all the cocktails multiple chefs. We did a cooking competition. Um, we did wine tastings by, um, James JCB. Um, I think at the time that was, uh, one of the celebrity brands that we had and we just seen, you know, is this something that people are interested in? And they did the next year we went up to two fifty, no three fifty, And then, um, the last year in terms of us looking at it as a proof of concept, which took three years, we sold 500 tickets and that was just at capacity because of the space. So then we were like, okay, this is a proof of concept. Now let's, let's move up. And so we got a space and we hosted about 1500 people on our fourth event. And then from there, now we're looking at, you know, three to 5,000 people. And that's only because of a capacity issue in terms of spacing, but we've gotten a lot of, um, a lot of people, you know, really interested. Um, we've definitely diversified the event. So we've got, you know, all different types of people that are interested. One of the things is that whenever you put black in front of something, then people feel like, oh, it's just for black people, but it's really a celebration of black culture through food and wine. And we definitely want to have diversity within that space because we all got to learn and we we all need everybody's support to help the brands that are there get to the next level. Um, so we really like to sh- uh, create a shared space um, and we've been doing pretty good. So I've grown the event, you know, kind of like as a solo entrepreneur by myself. And now I've expanded, you know, my, um, you know, hired people. And and now I'm, 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 I've actually got a couple of companies that want to acquire the Black Food and Wine Experience. So I'm thinking about that and how to set that up. Um, but yeah, we love everybody to come down to California, you know, come to Oakland, come to San Francisco. You'll be close to the wine country. You'll meet, you know, tons of winemakers. You, 
restaurateurs, um, and then you'll be able to just enjoy, you know, black culture. Um, it's it's definitely an event that you don't want to miss. If you were to pick another city <clears throat> where your events would be in, what city would you pick? Well, we I, I created a concept called um the midnight brunch. And so I did an event with along with the Mibari sisters where we hosted uh, a midnight brunch adjacent to Essence during Essence uh festival. And it was really successful. So I'm really in a cross between New Orleans and Atlanta. I feel like those two areas um could use some, you know, some support with the black food on food and beverage entrepreneurs that are there, as well as um the the summit, you know, because I know that there's now getting back, you know, past just the party and enjoy and food, the the reason why we also added on the food and beverage summit is is really to focus on um us bringing uh, our customer service skills and developing the things that we need to develop to make our restaurants and our restaurants um, restaurant tours better so we all know if you black you, you pretty much know in the inside of our world that our restaurants are not operating to the level that they need to and one of the things is access to tools access to financing and access to networking. So being able to have those three things, being able to network with somebody that you can call and ask a question about, hey, you know, what is a PAR system? How do I develop? Why do I even scout for a restaurant? What are some of the things that I should be considering in building this business out? Not just, oh, my grandma makes a good, you know, shrimp and grits and I can make some fried chicken and now I decide that I should open up a restaurant. We definitely want to look at um, strategies and ways to build our businesses out. So I think that those two areas could definitely use um, some of those tools. Let's back up for a minute. Before the Black Food and Wine experience was ever thought of, your your background in in the culinary world, what, what was that moment like when you decided you wanted to become a chef? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I always knew that I wanted to be a chef as a little girl, like about five years old. You know, I was watching um, Jacques LePan and some of the PBS. I think it was just PBS that was, at the time. That was all that it was. Um, my dad was a good cook. And so, I, you know, I would get in the kitchen with him, five, six, seven, eight, you're nine year old. Um, but as I started to get into like images of like, who, who, who am I in this space? Um, I didn't really see anybody that looked like myself. So around 16, 17, I said, you know, I want to be that person that creates opportunities, not just for myself, but for other people to look like me. I ended up going to culinary, um, the California Culinary Arts Academy in San Francisco. I was one of two Black people that graduated, you know, within my class. Now, mind you, everything that was developed was really more around like the French cuisine, you know, that the, the education is is really tied to like French cuisine. So for most, for myself and for most black kids, and we're not eating French foods at home, you know, so foie gras and all this other stuff that I was learning, you know, I, I didn't have any context to like the type of food and then tying that into myself, like 
well, where do I fit in? Because I'm not eating this French food. I'm just eating foods that my mom and dad showed me, which was really a variety of food, but not not what I seen and what I was learning and what I what they said was prestigious, you know. So this is, you know, before obviously way before Instagram, TikTok, and all the black chefs now that we see um with the opportunity. This is this is this is like the 90s. So <laughs> So I, um, I, I basically struggled for a long time trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Um, and then around, I'd say, um, maybe about five, 10, five, six years into my career, I decided that, you know, I was going to start a catering company. And so I started doing catering and, um, I did a lot of weddings, you know, different types of events. Then 2016, I really got really, really clear um, because the tech company started to build out sort of this social aspect of like diversity and inclusion. And they needed black chefs and some culture in their in within their their wheelhouse. So um, I did an event for this company called Twilio. They had an event called um, After Dark, and it was about like hiring it was like a recruiting spot space to hire black um black people within the tech space. So I decided to grow my business right on side of the tech industry. And so I started doing all types of events for um the tech companies here in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco and um then you know I decided that I wanted to do go into the film space. So I did bring it to the table. I'm not sure if you've seen my cooking um, show that I built out called bringing it to the table and bringing it to the table, um, highlighted black chefs, winemakers and such. And I had a really, really hard time getting that show picked up because we really wanted to showcase the diaspora and the different types of levels of black chefs within the culinary space. And they really wanted me to just stick with soul food. And that really wasn't what the show was about. It was really about the diversity within our own culture. Um, and um, so I decided, hmm, what about what a, what if I do an event that kind of has the same type of feel as the show in an event type of space? And so that's kind of like where the Black Food and Wine Experience um, was grown out of, out of bringing it to the table and me seeing that there was need for us to have more diverse spaces where we can come together and break bread and connect. I don't know if I answered that question right. No, you did. That okay. was perfect. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, so when you were doing your catering company, what was your cooking style? Well, my cooking style and philosophy is more like California fresh. I like to use um, a lot of local organic products here with the flavor. Cause I know that a lot of times when you look at uh, the California cuisine, it's a fusion of different uh, flavors. So you, we have a lot of Southeast Asian. We have um, the local farmers. We And then I add like a soul food flair to it so that it's something that's comfort comforting and um, healthy. So that's kind of like my food philosophy. What was it like um, growing up in Oakland? What kind of food did you eat at home? 
So growing up in Oakland, Berkeley was super cool. Um, there was a sense of freedom, I would say, back in the um, 90s, 80s, 90s. Um, my Both of my parents were very, like, on the health, they were on a health kick back then. So it was sort of odd for me because to be black and to be healthy at that time was a real interesting space. It was like, wait a minute, hold on. You're not eating this, that, and the next. Like, how black are you if you're not eating, you know, chitlins and different things like that? So I, it was weird because I wrote this article called Why Black Girls Don't Eat Avocado. And it, it's a story around my childhood and how I used to bring like this really ugly avocado sandwich to school with like sprouts hanging out the side and whole wheat crack bread. Now, mind you, people. Oh, wow. That's healthy, healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was eating this in the 80s, you know, 80s. So people didn't understand. But when they looked at the face and they looked at the food, they had a hard, hard time connecting. They would tell me that I was eating white people's food. And why was I eating this? And why was I eating that? Which is a serious, dangerous, dangerous space and kind of construct to to deal with as a child, but also just as as a black person, like why do we correlate poor eating and eating bad food to black identity? You know, we should be able to eat and enjoy all different types of foods. And culturally, you know, the foods that we ate that were given to us here in this country were, we didn't eat a lot of meat then. I mean, we ate, you know, lots of vegetables um, and meat was was a seasoning. It wasn't something that you just had to sat down to this big 40 ounce steak, you know? Um, so, and people were moving a lot, obviously working in fields, working on their, working in their, in cultivating their own food. So the food was a lot different than it is now, but um, it's important for me to, to build in, you know, healthy messages into um, whether it's catering or the black food and wine experience. Yeah. You can come and eat and you can have drinks and stuff like that, but you will meet um, people like Kai uh, who owns a, a, um, a vegan ice cream company called Kube and Kube. They really are a craft business that, celebrates you know um, non-dairy ice cream with the highest amount of quality she really takes her time in building it out and um, we support and salute you know what she's doing so um, for me my food identity now is like it's up to date to where everybody's at now because everybody's talking about healthy food and eating this and that but I was doing this when it wasn't popular and it was it was really tough because it was tied to culture and people just didn't understand why I was eating sushi or why I was eating <laughs> an avocado sandwich, you know, and I wasn't eating pork and beef and a lot of meat. So, um, and when we left, when I left my block, which was really, um, it was like in North Oakland, it, a lot of the people in the block had organic gardens and things like that. So they ate healthy food. But when I would go to school, then people would construct this idea that blackness didn't go along with healthiness. And um, I had to constantly push back on that and say, you know, black identity is healthy and we are the first farm to table people. We were our grandparents, our forefathers were farmers. They were the original farmers. They were the 
original, you know, all everything that I'm I'm that I'm doing and I'm talking about is nothing new. We grew our own peaches, we grew our own, you know, uh farm animals. We had all this stuff, but I don't know what happened where we we missed the the mark where our, our kids and the people who we grew up with don't identify with that. They identify with the fast food and the processed foods and things like that. So I'm really trying to break those barriers. I love it. I absolutely love that. Um, give us one of the signature dishes in your house. Like as a kid growing up, like what did you love that your parents made? Hmm. Um, I was a very, very picky eater when I was younger. I didn't really like anything. Um, so it's funny that I'm in the food industry because I didn't really like food. <laughs> I really like, <laughs> I, I didn't really, my, my mom would like, I would sit at the table for hours with just like a piece of chicken and some rice in front of me or some grilled salmon or whatever. I didn't really like stuff. So, um, but now I would say in our household, you know, we really like seafood. We, we make a lot of um, black and salmon, you know, truffle mac and macaroni and cheese. Um, that's kind of like our go-to Brussels sprouts. Um, I think I was just talking to a friend about like the fine dining thing. It's like, because I've been in this industry for so long, like it's not special to me. So I just like to just grab, you know, what I like. And it's, um, I do like a lot of vegan options you know, um, a lot of fresh vegetables. So we always have a salad. That was one of the things that we, we would, my mom would always make sure we had at our dinner table was whatever we ate, you had a salad and the salad was something that was robust. And I was in charge of the salad. So I made sure that the salad was just like super beautiful. And, you know, I would cut up, um, uh, uh cucumbers and tomatoes and artichokes and, and gobanza beans and you know art and beets and all kind of stuff and put it in the salad and make my own little dressing and all of that kind of stuff so I was in charge of that at like the age of five that was kind of like my introduction into food my mama said oh you're on the salads I love that that's so fun man so you were like yeah you you really knew you wanted to be a chef really young then huh yeah about five years old I kind of knew I fell in love with food even though I didn't want to eat it as much because um, mm -hmm. I was really picky, but I still kind of knew, like, I wa I liked washing the dishes. You know, I liked cooking. Wait, what? What? <laughs> what? Back up. <laughs> yeah, I used to like watching the dishes. And I remember, so one of the, my first memories was, like, my mom had made gravy. And I remember not even being tall enough to, like, watch you know, look at the stove. I wasn't eye level, but I remember seeing her, you know, put the flour, the water, the oil. And then all of a sudden it was just like this really thick, rich roux, you know, gravy. And I'm like, wow, how did you do that? You know? And yeah. I was intrigued with the science of it all. I was intrigued with how you can take ingredients and then you can make it into something that was tasty. Um, And so, you know, it was just, it was a fascinating to me. Um, and I fell in love then. And then um, the other part that I, when I knew that I really loved food was also whenever I would go to like a friend's house, I knew what everything that their mom would make and how they shopped. So I'd be like, oh, your mom shops and she buys like TV dinners and those type of things. You know, this person, mom, they, they buy fresh fruits and vegetables and they got, you know, they make stuff from scratch. 
So each person, I kind of knew like how they cooked and what I was going to get if I went to their house. And so I would also ask my mom to like pick me up if they didn't have the right food. <laughs> and she would call me and she'd be like, and I wouldn't want to say I was going to leave, but she'd be like, hey, how's it going? And I'd be like, she'd be like, you want to stay? I'd be like, mm -mm, mm -mm. I wouldn't say no because I didn't want them to feel bad. <laughs> I'd just be like, no. And then they'd be like, are you going to stay in the dining? And I'm like, no, because I, I looked around and seeing what food was mm. going to be served. And I knew that I wouldn't have be able to eat anything. So you would look around and what would you see? Like, I don't know, um, Doritos and Pop-Tarts and like I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, like stuff that wasn't cooked, you know, just got you. TV dinners. Mom, I didn't eat mm. those that type of stuff. Yeah, And I understand, you know, because we I grew up in the age of TV dinners. So people would have. Yeah. You know the Salisbury steaks and the little potatoes, yeah, and the little tin thing, and put it in the <laughs> oven. <laughs> and I'm like, "What is this?" Oh my god! And I was also introduced to restaurants. My dad and my mom used to take me to like Moroccan restaurants. We went mm. to, you know, Good Earth, which was like a, a vegan. You know, they have vegan vegetarian food. Um, I was, you know, eating Thai food and sushi and. All that stuff as you know, back in the eighties. So it was just really different to um experience, you know, food the way that I did. So we can close out this segment in our last part, the last question for this part of the show. How were you introduced to wine? I was introduced to wine when I was in um well, first of all, my mom used to drink white Zinfandel. So that <laughs> that'll tell you back in the day, you know. That was like the drink of black women. You know, let me get a glass of the white Zinfandel. I don't even think they make that anymore, right? Um, But so I was introduced by my mom having a glass of white Zinfandel. And that was where, you know, where it started. And then you start seeing more black women introducing themselves to the Moscato. It's like the sweet wine. Um, I went to culinary school and I took the wine class. I was probably about 18 years old. Um. And uh, so I was introduced to the different regions, how wine was, uh, how wine was made, you know, venti culture, um, the different varieties of wines, the different grapes. Um, and I was really interested in, you know, all the different flavor profiles and all of that. And um, I feel like that I've grown with wine um, with the community. You know, the more black winemakers that I noticed or I became friends with or that I've seen, the more interested I became in wine, even though I had a wine background from when I was in school and uh, working in restaurants, obviously, you know, you get a chance to um, work with wine and, and do wine pairings and things like that. Um, I started also as my clients became uh, bigger and more refined, they were interested in wine dinners so um, I was looking at different black winemakers and pairing pairing the food with the wines. Just noticing that you know a lot of a lot of black people like the spicy, we're like more full flavor. But looking at you know our palates in particular and how we like to experience wine was also important to have a voice at the table along with the food. So that's kind of like how I got into the, the food and wine. That's really cool. That's mm -hmm. excellent. Glennis, you have any other questions for Chef Mimi before we do our closeouts? No, you asked them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. All right. So the close our questions are for all of us. I will just do a few. Okay. Name a signature dish from Oakland. And Glennis, you name a signature dish from Jersey. I would say um, right now, uh, the garlic crab. Like we have a lot of, mm. Oakland is a is a base, like a melting pot. And so um, there's a restaurant called Thanglongs or Crustaceans that's out here um, that started in the Bay Area, started in like the San Francisco. And then I, a lot of the chefs here have taken on um, some of those same Southeast Asian uh, flavor profiles, which is really, um, you know, heavily influenced by the French. So you've got the garlic and the butter that was added into the, you know, the fish sauce and whatever. And now you've got this mixed in with the crab and now you got this garlic crab dish. And so a lot of the chefs here are, are making that. So I would say the garlic crab is something that um, you will find like a chef smiley, a sh come of the other chefs making garlic crab and gra garlic shrimp and things like that. Mixed in with, you know, chef two, chef Nelson, um, some of the other chefs, I th I would say that's kind of like a staple here in Oakland. Um, the other thing I would say is anything healthy, like vegan dishes. Um, a lot of the Bay Area was sort of like on the forefront of the health craze. So you've got a lot of vegetarian, got a lot of, you know, soul vegetarian. You've got a lot of vegan options here. Um, and mixing along with our historical, amazing Black Panther Party, who started the the lunch program and started sort of like the whole food. Well, they started the whole system for how kids get food and in, in the lunch uh, system now, but um, taking on some of the spirit of that and having a for us, by us mentality um, definitely allows, you know, black food entrepreneurs to be creative and, um, and to try different dishes and not feel isolated to just one type of dish. This question is kind of difficult in the sense that New Jersey is so ethnically diverse that each um, group has signature dishes. Mm -hmm. So in the um, difference of time, I'm going to use, I've been in Maryland longer than I grew up in Jersey. It's funny because I came down here at 17 and I've been here since. So that's interesting. So from Maryland, I would say um, the blue crab or crab cakes is a signature dish. Um, New Jersey can run the gamut from hoagies to hot dogs, um, salt taffy, saltwater taffy. It's not necessarily a signature food dish, but that's another um, edible item that is signature to New Jersey. And of course, pizza and all Italian foods because we're right. I have a lot of Italians in Jersey. Huh. Yeah. Uh, for DC, um, everybody knows mambo sauce. I think Chef Mimi, you know mambo mm -hmm. sauce. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> oh, and mambo sauce, and of course, growing up, we went to specific carryouts because everybody had a diff different recipe for mambo sauce. So, um, and then also, um, what else? And it's just like the way you eat the mambo sauce. It's either like you could be a person that just put it on your fries. You could be a person who likes it like smothered over your fried chicken. You know, it just depends. And and of course, you know, Glenna said the um, the seafood, mm -hmm. the seafood, the blue crabs, um, spice shrimp, that kind of thing. And also half smokes. 
Mm. Um, I didn't realize there was an area thing, but it's pretty much a large sausage slash hot dog and it's smoked. So mm. half smoked. Um, but yeah, you can find those in, in our Costco's and, but specifically uh, Ben's Chili Bowl has half smokes. Well, yes, they do. Yummy. I love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do and- have a California cuisine, you know, that is, uh, it's not one particular, fi- you know, food is more like the fresh, local, yeah. organic, sure. farm to table style um, foods. That's yeah. interesting. Um, something did come to mind when you started talking, um, Sarita, was also for New Jersey. New Jersey is also known for diners. Oh. And in diners, it's all American food that you yes. can find um, with some Italian food and things of that nature. But the portion sizes and what you get for with an entree, which lends more to how um, the Jewish religion um, eats, you always get a relish bar. So the relish mm-hmm. bar would be, or it would be your pickled items, pickles, um, coles, um, vinegar, v- vinegar-based coleslaw, um, hot peppers in, uh, banana peppers in vine- vinegar, that type of thing. And then you get a soup that comes with your meal. And most of the times, my mother and I would get matzo ball soup, which is another um, Jewish de- um, delicacy. And then your entree with your meat, whatever that meat, I, meat, chicken or fish, whatever that is, with your uh, with a vegetable. And you also get a salad. Hmm. So every time I go home, I go to a diet. That sounds wonderful. And all that food, I, oh my God, is freaking delicious. Um, <laughs> and, and for the price point, I'm sure the sizes of the plates compared to other places and all those foods that you get, you can't beat it anywhere because you always have food left over. I never can eat it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay. Next question. What is the dish you bring to a work potluck? <laughs> Glenn is already seeing your face. Is this me? I don't I don't bring a dish to the work potluck because I don't like potlucks. Um, I'm really afraid of potlucks because people don't have good food handling skills. Um, so I am the person that will bring (laughs) a drink, um, or I'll say, Hey, let's just all put our money in and get a caterer. Mm. (laughs) Oh my God. You are. Yeah. That's Glenn. You hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so very true. Um, I, I don't like potlucks because the hygiene issue, there are severe hygiene issues right. um, at work. Uh, I watch it on a daily basis and I'm like, well, I know I'm never eating more cheese. Right. <laughs> with all this cat hair and all that kind of mess. Um, so I guess what I would, if we did, I have on several occasions took it upon myself to take the lead on um, getting something catered and I would do like a the grill and get the, make it a Caribbean thing. Yep. And, and that's so very easy. Jerk chicken, yep. rice and peas and um, mm. cabbage and yep. cocoa bread. Everybody loves thing. it. And if, <laughs> no <laughs> and if I can't, <laughs> exactly. And if I can't do that, I, I'll volunteer to bring a bottle of wine, a bottle of sparkling yep. wine. That's exactly what I do. And or, I'll, I'll eat before the potluck because I'm not exactly. <laughs> or or I, the cutlery. I, if I know somebody that I know 
that's you know made the food specifically i'm like what did you make okay i'll have that uh yeah gotcha oh that's funny i have a funny <laughs> story about that and it's a very short one so we were you know this was pre way pre-covid in the 2006 era and our potluck holiday event we were trying to figure out instead of having to do exactly what chef mimi said what did you bring what did you bring because you knew certain people that you could eat their food um we couldn't figure out how to get that done so quickly because we had a short turnaround so we i came up with the idea how about we have this contest everybody put their name on their dish so we oh. so you can be celebrated <laughs> nice. that's very nice. smart <laughs> that's really smart oh you my god cat lady's dish exactly <laughs> mm -mm. or i would just bring cutlery and uh, paper products and I'll say have at it y'all I'm not humble yeah. oh right. man I went to my first potluck this winter for the holiday season I I wasn't very nervous about it um but I I participated I just made like a really bright vegetable um pasta salad mm -hmm. it's very simple um but I did eat before I went to the potluck I had my lunch I bought the pasta salad and I put my pasta salad on my plate. So it looked like I had food, but it was my food. Mm -hmm. um, but I did have two coworkers that were Indian and they were Indian food. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to eat this. This smells too good. But other than that, I didn't eat much. But um, yeah, that's that's probably my go to pasta salad. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff be really good. I love Indian food. That's one mm -hmm. of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just remember where one time um, the uh, the job that I had had a pot a potluck and somebody had brought I guess some dirty rice or something and literally the whole entire department was sick with oh stuff no. oh my god yeah from there it was I just I never was a, a a smorgasbord type person anyway like just an abundance of stuff like I don't enjoy the cruise lines with all that you mm -hmm. know it's like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will, you know, I, I like, <laughs> I like particular things and it's just too much. It's too much, but yeah. So it's just, it's yeah. just interesting, but yeah, I didn't, uh, so everybody got sick. It was like the whole, de and the whole department was out. It was like mm. a thousand people didn't come to work. They were all sick and stuff like that. So mm. Mm -hmm. I really know that that, that's real. Yeah. That is hilarious. Cause you know what happened. Yep. Mm, mm -mm. and then because you know some people when they be like oh yeah i've cooked for i started cooking last week you know it's like did you really you know well where did you put this food because i'm not mm -hmm. eating anything that was cooked last week like you know i don't want anything that's been in your refrigerator since last week Oof. but you have people who do that you know they're they're cooking their holiday meal and you know they started doing Ew. stuff <laughs> <laughs> they'll have it on their stove and and that like, damn cat will get on that stove oh. and put his hand caught in it. See, mm. Mm -mm. we don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. I was watching Instagram. Mm, I'm not even going to say her name. Well, I can say her name. I'll take it out. But Jida Fuentes. Yeah, she was cooking. Uh -huh. And she was, she her cat, her big fluffy cat was on the counter. Mm -hmm. And she thought it was the cutest thing and just posted yeah. it. I was like, I am fucking disgusted why yeah. is that cat in your on your counter where you yeah. where your food I, is 
but that is a cultural thing like you know honestly we don't but i would say for black people we just don't like cat we like cats but we don't want them on the counter so it's we like don't, i don't want it in the house because them jokers <laughs> is sneaky they be pushing stuff I'm up. trying to be politically correct <laughs> girl bye you can you you could just tell the truth on here Connie. please ain't nobody mess with them nasty oh my gosh oh and my that habit of and i watched it happen at one of our events for work people pick up the spoon taste it put the spoon out. Mm -mm. Like, what are you doing mm -mm. right and there's a you no mm -mm. now with covid <laughs> gives me an excuse not to even go it's true yeah it's, it's true, true. Yep. it's true oh man okay last question describe your struggle meal Eating or cooking? So cooking, struggle mm -hmm. in cook. your house. What's your struggle meal? Okay. So struggle as in preparing it, or struggle as in I'm sad and I need to eat a meal. Oh damn! I didn't even think about that. Uh, so what I was thinking was, you don't have much time and you don't have that many ingredients, but you got this thing that you always have this meal, this dish you always can make. Oh, oh okay. You want to go, Glennis? Oh, oh, mine is easy. Um. I will, if I was, you know, I go shopping, whatever. Um, turkey, ground turkey. I make my ground, my spaghetti sauce with ground turkey. And um, I have, it's kiwa um, noodles. Oh, Pretty nice. sure that, or that brown rice noodles one. Um, and I make my spaghetti like that, real quick, simple, and easy. Oh, or shrimp scampi. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. Oh. You nice struggle meals. Nice. <laughs> um, so I have two things. One, it's a, it's, I'll make a sandwich. It has um, pepper, pepper turkey, um, pepper jack cheese, and it has two eggs and two pieces of bread. And I use some truffle oil on top of the egg. That's like mm. a little go-to. My and God, then the other one good. is just a salad. I use a like arugula salad with like grilled chicken, um, onions, and just I'll just make a salad and then that's it. Those are my two mm -hmm. two go to. Oh, I always like chips and guacamole. That's another thing. Oh, if I could sure. grab a couple of avocados and some chips and you know maybe it's a glass of wine and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned this on Pinterest probably 10 years ago this girl she she put on her pinterest board this is my struggle meal and it was um it was a sweet potato you cook the sweet potato in a microwave for however long then all you do is saute spinach and mushrooms and once the sweet potato comes out you open it up and put the spinach and mushrooms on top of the sweet potato like inside it and then you fry an egg and boom that's it okay that's it I've actually it's, had that. Yeah, it is. It, it's I always I always have those items in my house. So if I don't have a whole lot of time or a whole lot of energy, that's what I make. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I love it. Now, Which, I thought when you initially said this, I thought you were meant um, saying our struggle meal for cooking. And I have two. <laughs> what are those? Meatloaf child, I cooked, I tried to cook a meatloaf. That mess was like sand and grit, quicksand, because it was all mushy, the worst shit ever. Um, and the other one 
Now, y'all gonna really laugh. Now, I could cook collard greens all day long, right? So my crazy self, and the first time I tried to cook some cabbage, I thought I could, I should cook the cabbage as long as I cooked some collard. Oh my god! Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah. I came back. That pot was soup. I said, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Those were those were my two struggle entrees of tr yeah, struggling trying to cook. Yeah, the greens are more a lot more fibrous. There's more exactly. Water. Yeah, <laughs> I learned that the hard way, sis. Learned it the hard way. Well, Chef Mimi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was fantastic. Yes, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, before you go, tell everyone where they can follow you and where they can follow your event. Yeah, so thank you for having me. Um, you can follow me at I am Chef Mimi on Instagram, um, Black Food and Wine Experience on uh, TikTok, and I'm also on Facebook at Bringing It to the Table Show. Um, and the event is going to be held. The grand tasting is going to be June eleventh, twenty twenty three, at the beautiful San Francisco Ferry Building. You can go to my website at thechefmimi.com. Um, to pre-register and you will receive our newsletter and all the up-to-date information about all the activations and we love to see you all right well that is a wrap everybody thank you so much all right thank you thanks for joining the swirl suite we hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button leave us five stars and leave us a comment we love ratings also be sure to follow all of us on social media myself at buy me up glenn is at vino noir girl meets glass is tanisha vino 301 is leslie and you can follow the swirl suite podcast account at swirl suite the swirl suite is now a part of the alive podcast network this episode has been edited and produced by buy me up media